as you're seated, go ahead and take those Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible, grab one of those pew Bibles in front of you. I think it's on page 1015. At least that'll get you close. This morning we find ourselves four weeks into our message series called Alone. We've already walked through several truths. We started off with the truth that Scripture alone is our authority. And then we discover that we have the hope of heaven because of grace alone. And then faith alone is the means by which grace alone is applied into our lives. This morning we're going to discover that Christ alone is the object and the means of salvation. In all the scriptures, I think there's actually one text that we can find that includes or covers all five of these alone statements, the five solas, if you will. And that is found in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, first and foremost, this is coming from the Word of God, the very breath of God. Therefore, it has the, the, the scripture alone, it has the authority to tell us what it is that we need to know. So we see Scripture alone. And then in verse number 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, so there's faith alone, so therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith. So how do we get our introduction by faith? Through Christ alone. Then it says, Into this grace in which we stand, so there we see grace alone, and then it says, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. So to God's glory alone. So it is Christ alone that endured the wrath of God on the cross. It is Christ alone who paid the penalty for our sin. Therefore, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we can obtain salvation. It's as simple as that. I mean, that's it. That's the message in a nutshell. Like That's my, my shortest sermon ever is right there. We can pray or we can be dismissed or we can dig in and go a little bit further. Thank you. I'm glad you said let's dig in. That was going to be really awkward if you were like, hey, let's just go home. Let's dig in a, a little bit more because Paul says this in, in chapter 5 and he bases it upon his argument that he gives to us in chapter 3. So turn back to chapter 3, Romans 3. I'll begin in verse number 21. It says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in, the, in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, 
of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul is making a clear argument that it is Christ alone that reconciles us to our heavenly Father. In fact, Jesus himself declared in John chapter 3, verse number 36, he said, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him, or the wrath of God remains upon him. I hope you realize that as we're going through these five solas, and this was birthed out of the, the Reformation that occurred uh, 500 years ago, but I hope you realize that the Reformers were not inventing new doctrine. They were simply uncovering and proclaiming what the Scriptures have already declared, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This truth is proclaimed throughout Scripture. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes and he says in verse number 1, First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Then in verse number four, it says, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. See, once we understand that Jesus Christ alone is the one who mediates salvation, then the question immediately becomes, well, if Jesus is the one that mediates salvation, then what is the extent of his mediation? How far does that extend, or to whom does that mediation of salvation, who does it affect, or who does it get extended to? Simply put, does Jesus mediate salvation for all people who have ever lived no matter what? Or is his work of mediation limited to certain individuals? Let me be clear. The salvific benefits of Jesus' atonement are limited to a particular people. It's limited. Go back to to John 3.36. Jesus says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. So salvation is limited to those who believe. To those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. For those that, that rest and rely upon Him for their salvation. And even going further, those that prove this faith by putting their their, uh, words into action. Uh, Remember from last week, faith is merely the instrument in which salvation is received. Scripture does not teach universalism when it comes to the issue of salvation. Universalism means that all people are going to end up in heaven at at, at some point in time because uh, salvation is universal to everyone. 
Scripture doesn't teach universalism when it comes to salvation. But truth be told, Scripture does teach universalism when it comes to the issue of sin. We already read in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So not one of us is exempt from being included within the statement, for all have sinned. Now, now, thankfully, we have hope. And the hope that we have is not based upon anything that we can do in and of ourselves. The hope that we have is based upon what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, it says that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Jesus is the only way. And again, one more time. John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. As Jesus tells us in this text, only those that believe in him receive the gift of eternal life. Those that don't believe in him, those that don't obey him, remain under God's wrath. May you know that there is a close connection between belief and obedience. In fact, this connection between belief and obedience in no way contradicts what Paul has to say about obedience in Galatians chapter 2. Notice the screens. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16, he says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Notice that, that we're only justified, we're only made right with God through faith in Jesus. There's no other way that we can be in a right relationship with God apart from having faith in Jesus Christ. So, so yes, we must distinguish between belief and obedience when it comes to salvation and our justification because we're only saved because of the faith through grace, right? Not because of anything that we can do on ourselves. So we have to distinguish the, or separate belief and obedience when it comes to the issue of salvation. But we never separate belief and obedience when it comes to the issue of Christian living. We are saved by grace through faith. Yeah, we're not saved because of our works or because of anything that we do on our own. But those that have been saved by grace prove that through how they live their lives. They demonstrate that salvific nature by, by being obedient to the word and to the will of God. Now our works do not in any sense earn us a right standing before God. We're only able to stand before God because of the imputed righteousness that we receive based upon what Christ has accomplished. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. 
so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The him is talking about Jesus, right? So, so he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. And may you understand that faith immediately proves itself by obedience to the Savior. Respectfully, I would say that if you have no obedience to the word or to the will of God, then you are demonstrating an absence of saving faith in your life. James chapter 2. Verses 14 through 17 says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith but has uh, no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is it? Even so, if it has no works... I'm sorry, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So immediately we're confronted with the question, of what does this mean for us today? What does this have to do to us or, or for us in, in the way we live our lives right now? First of all, yes, we understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because all of our righteous deeds that we can manufacture on our own as if we could, but any good that we might be able to do or to declare or to demonstrate before God, any good that we do on our own is insufficient. It's not enough. We can never do enough good to compensate for our sin condition. That sin separates us from God. So there's not enough works or prayers or, or acts that we could commit in order to make us right before our Heavenly Father. In fact, Isaiah chapter 64, verse number 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Therefore, because there is nothing that we can do on our own in order to obtain salvation, there is only one option that is left for us to consider, and that is to trust in the work and in the person of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it. May you know that we are all guilty of sin. Because we're all guilty of sin, we are all in need of salvation. Romans 3, we read at the very beginning, for all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so because we have sinned, that means that we are under a legal judgment from God. And so Jesus equates sin with the legal debt in the Lord's Prayer. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, Verse number four, he says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And then likewise, in the parallel version of the Lord's Prayer that's found in Matthew chapter six, verse number 12, there it says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
See, Jesus equates sin with a legal debt. In fact, the Apostle John has the same thing to say in respect to what sin is. We recently went through a whole message series over uh, 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 4, he says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. So when we break God's law, we incur a legal debt. We incur a debt to such a degree that there's nothing that we can do or no amount of work that we could perform that would be able to pay off the legal debt in which we owe. In fact, the payment for that legal debt because of our sin, the payment is, anyone? Death. Death, that's the payment that's due. It's death. Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so not only are we dead because of that debt, we're also, as a result of being dead, we are spiritually separated from God. And so the, the, the prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 59, he says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So all that builds up to the issue. In order for us to be saved from God's righteous judgment, we must rely upon what God has provided to us through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. I mean, that's the gospel. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, Beginning of verse number 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return, while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Remember that, that sin is a legal debt. And that legal debt was transferred to Christ and canceled at the cross. That's wonderful news. Oh, that should, should generate a little bit of enthusiasm and excitement and, and relief in our lives. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 14, actually starting in verse number 13, says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death, debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Come on! 
Oh, this is good stuff. I mean, he did it all. The beautiful hymn, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. It's all because of Christ and Christ alone that we have the hope of salvation. And the only way that we can receive that is by grace through faith. We made a reference to Acts chapter 4 earlier. Let's go back. Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. Notice that it says, and there is salvation in no one else. Jesus is the only way. No one else. And then it says, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Two phrases there. I highlighted them for you. Uh, Two phrases are of utmost importance for us to understand. Here, Peter is very carefully saying that salvation is given to us under heaven. Salvation is not given to us in heaven. Salvation is given this side of heaven, which means that salvation must be received in this life. There is no such thing as missing salvation in this life and then receiving it after life. It doesn't happen that way. No matter what other false teachers might proclaim, it's only salvation is available under heaven in this life. So now is the time that we have to make a decision on what we do with the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. What do we do with Jesus? Because if you don't choose to walk in obedience and receive the salvation that was offered unto us, this side of heaven, in this life, then there is no hope after this life. There's not enough prayers that can be said by a loved one that can transition you from hell unto heaven after you die. No way. It's given to us this side, in this life. Rob Bell made his infamous book, Love Wins. And the whole nature of the book was just basically, in essence, he said, whether or not one chooses to believe in this life or not doesn't matter because in the end, Jesus wins, love wins, and all people will end up in heaven eventually. Not how it works. Have to trust and believe in what Christ has done for us. And notice that it says that salvation not only is it given under heaven, but salvation is given to men, mankind, men and women, boys and girls. Which means because it's given, it's a gift that cannot be purchased. All it can be is either accepted or rejected salvation has been given once and for all it has been purchased and provided in and through jesus christ and christ alone therefore we have to consider what have you done with god's offer of salvation do you receive it or have you rejected it we ought to rejoice and be exceedingly glad that this wonderful salvation has been given among men. That is to say, it is made available to all people everywhere. 
thank God that there is no racial barrier to salvation. There's none. There, there, there are no social barriers to salvation. There's no educational barriers to salvation. There's no financial barriers to salvation. The rich and the poor all have to come to God through the same exact way. There's no moral barriers to salvation. We may appear to be good people, or we may be despised and wicked to the core, yet we all have to come to God through Jesus in the same way. It is a leveling ground. No one has an advantage over another based upon where they were born, based upon how they look, or based upon how much money they have. We all must come to him the same way. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 15 says, It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise be to God as we look to our final, supreme, ultimate authority, Scripture alone. And here we discover that it is by grace alone that we can have the hope of heaven. Here we discover that faith alone is the means by which grace alone is applied into our lives. And here we discover that Christ alone is the object of saving faith. There's no other way. So ultimately, it all comes down to, do you believe? Do you trust? Do you rely upon Jesus Christ for your salvation? My prayer and my hope is that every one of us would be able to answer in the affirmative. And yet I realize that there are some that are here, some that are listening, some that are watching, that the answer for them is no. My prayer is that the Spirit of God would move in their life, restoring them, awakening them, granting them a resurrection that they desperately need so that we can make the transition from death unto life. Friends, may you receive what Christ has done on your behalf so that you can be in a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. There's no other way. None of us are good enough to be able to stand before God based upon anything that we've done on our own. We all equally need to humble ourselves, receive the offer of salvation that's been given to us in and through Jesus Christ, and commit to, to demonstrate saving faith by walking in obedience to both his word and his will for our lives. My prayer is that that is the path that you are on today. If not, 
I pray that the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, would grant you the faith that you need in order to receive the salvation that's found in and through Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your immeasurable love for us. None of us deserve it. None of us are worthy of it. But God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, thank you for, for what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Father, I pray that your spirit would move among us, helping those that don't believe. God, may, may your spirit grant them the faith that they need in order to receive the salvation that is offered in Christ. God, for all of your children in this place, may your spirit move among us, guiding and convicting us of the things that we're failing to do, that we're supposed to be doing, and also convicting us of, of to stop doing things that we have no business doing in our lives. God, help people to see your love, your grace, and, and your character in our lives, Father. May we beautifully demonstrate that and how we treat one another, how we love one another, how we forgive one another, and how we help one another. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for what lies ahead. Help us to, no matter what it is that we face, God, help us to keep our eyes focused upon you, trusting in you. And God, may we remove all the distractions in our lives that are hindering us from doing what it is that you've called and equipped us to do. May you be pleased by what you see in us this week. Father, if you may, bring us back next week so that we can learn and we can discover how all of this has been done so that you can be glorified. It is for the glory of God alone. That salvation has been offered and received. Help us to live a life that reflects this. In all that we do and all that we say, may you be glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.